This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, and it reads, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chishan. Uh I want to start off today uh, on a little bit of a heavier note, right? Because today we're going to be talking about comfort, and whenever you're talking about comfort, what's on the other side of that? Is discouragement despair, something heavy, something weighing us down. So the question I want to ask you this afternoon, church, is what is discouraging you right now? What's going on in your life that has you feeling maybe defeated, maybe has you feeling discouraged and just, yeah, unable to have the, live in the joy that Christ has uh, bought for us? What is discouraging you? Just interacting with several of our members the past several weeks, I've noticed that we are facing a lot of discouragement. There are members among us who are dealing with real severe health issues or loved ones with health issues. Some of us, uh, someone I spoke to, was really discouraged because they found a lack of purpose and meaning for their time here in Korea. They came out here with all this zeal and passion, and now they found themselves maybe hitting a wall. There's another one of us who is dealing with really serious relational family problems. A brother I met is struggling with a sin that has gotten him down in so much despair, a sin that he hates to partake in, but it's a sin that he keeps finding himself falling into temptation to. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, we are all facing discouragement one way or another. I think Billy Graham has a famous quote saying, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh Lord, forgive me, or please help. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, right? Doesn't matter if you're a seasoned Christian for 20, 30 years, or if you're just new to the faith, we are all dealing this battle of discouragement. But the Christian life is also a life of hope and a life of comfort so that we won't stay in this discouragement. And so today we're going to look at Isaiah 40, famous Advent passage. And uh, if you enjoy listening to Handel's Messiah at this time of year, um, are you guys familiar with Handel's Messiah? Okay, all right. I thought I would be alone in that, but uh, I'm not too out of touch. But it's this great musical piece, right? And the opening lines of this great musical piece is, comfort, comfort my people. 
says our God. And so today we're going to look at Isaiah 40. And we're going to look at how to deal with our discouragement. We're going to look at why God comforts. We're going to look at how, how God comforts. And finally, we're going to look at how we respond to his comfort. So let's begin with why God comforts. Now, we're going to start in the way of a backdrop to what's going on in this point of Isaiah. There are a lot of stories in the Bible that are really dark and really tragic. And when we read over them sometimes, really fully unable to grasp the weight of the situation and what's going on. Right? Especially for many of us who are living a pretty comfortable life in this first world nation, it's hard for us to really empathize with some of the stories that scripture lays before us. And one of these stories is the devastating, tragic event of the Babylonian captivity for the Israelites. It's known as the exile to the Israelites. So I want us to kind of take us there for a moment. So try to imagine this scenario with me. We finish our worship here today. We go have dinner, some fellowship, we enjoy the rest of the evening, and we go home. We go home and we prepare for the week ahead, right? We, we, we line up our schedule, we get into our PJs, drink a glass of milk, and we, we get ready for bed. Then your alarm goes off in the morning. You hit snooze a couple times, you eventually get yourself out of bed, and you do your whole morning routine. You hop on the subway, and you're on your way to work. And all of a sudden, your cell phone starts to blow up. And you notice it's happening to the person next to you and the person across you. Everyone's cell phone is going off with these emergency alerts. And you see that the alert says, in this scenario, you can read Korean, right? It's telling you (laughs) that a foreign enemy has come and is attacking Seoul. And people are panicking. They're freaking out. They're wondering, what in the world is going on? And so you get to the next stop. You get off the subway. The conductor says, the train is no longer in operation. You come up above ground. And all of a sudden, you hear helicopters and jets flying through the air. In this distance, you hear bombs coming down. And you see groups of soldiers with machine guns coming towards you. And what are they doing? They're corralling people indiscriminately, getting them together, forcing them on trains, forcing them on buses, on trucks, taking them to Incheon Airport, Kimpo Airport, and you're in that crowd. And the next thing you know, you find yourself on this airplane, being flown off to this foreign land. You have no idea where you're going to end up. And you find yourself in this foreign land, completely in exile, and you're held there captive against your will. How discouraging would that be? You started your day off thinking it was going to be another average Monday. But here, now, you're torn apart from everything you know and you love. No more cell phone or internet. No more family, friends. No more Starbucks or favorite restaurant. No more career, your bank account, your home. They're all ripped away from you. And now, imagine yourself in this situation. You're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. How did this happen? And you start to think, what did the Korean government do so poorly that this happened to us? You start thinking, okay, what is the international community doing? Why isn't UN coming to rescue us? What is the reason for this tragedy? But then you realize deep inside, you know the reason. The reason that this devastation happened to us was because of our sin and rebellion against God. 
we were to blame for this great tragedy. And so weeks turned into months, months into years, years into decades. And this is how we live as a people. Just devastating, discouraged. That's what happened to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Babylonian Empire came in, they plundered Jerusalem and the temple, and they shipped off the Jews into different parts of Babylon. And that's the backdrop of today's text. And what's interesting about today's text is that it is a prophetic word from Isaiah to Judah, meaning that these actual events of Babylon coming in have not happened yet. Isaiah is looking a hundred so years into the future. So a quick history lesson about Israel. We all are familiar with King David, right? We had King David and then King Solomon. After King Solomon, Israel divided as a nation. You had the northern part of Israel, which remained called Israel, and then you had the southern part, was, was, and they were known as the kingdom of Judah. And so after generations, God would warn his people, do not disobey, you know, stop worshiping idols, follow my word, or something terrible is going to happen to you. And that's exactly what happened to the northern part of Israel. They disobeyed, they worshiped idols, they turned away from God, and so the Assyrian Empire came and brought destruction upon northern Israel. But in God's mercy to Judah, Assyria stopped there and they didn't take over Judah. But Isaiah, in the first chapters, right, from 1 to 39, what you have is 39 chapters of these warnings against, or warnings to Judah, saying you better turn back from your sin. You better stop rebelling. You better stop serving your idols, or the same destruction will come upon you, except through the Babylonian Empire. It's these great prophetic warnings to the nation, the first 39 chapters. But all of a sudden, you get this dramatic shift in chapter 40. The scholars think that Isaiah has possibly two different authors because there's an incredible shift in tone from the warnings in the first 39 chapters to the beginning of chapter 40 where it says, comfort, comfort my people. Remember, this isn't even happened yet. God gives warnings He knows that they're not going to be able to listen. He knows that destruction is going to come upon them. And instead of shaking his head and being all these stiff-headed Israelites, he's saying to his people, comfort. Comfort my people. This is God's heart to his people. It's like um, it's all the war movies you see, right? You have that young 18-year-old right out of high school. And um, there's a war going on. And so he gets enlisted. And he's taken away from his comfortable American dream life in suburbia, right? And so one day he's on the football team wearing the Letterman jacket, and the next day he's wearing a uniform getting shipped off to Vietnam or wherever the war is in this movie. And before he goes, his girlfriend gives him a letter, right? His high school sweetheart. And it says all the, you know, cheesy things we say in our letters to our loved ones, right? I'm going to love you forever. I'm going to wait till you get back. You're the only one for me. And so this soldier, this young man, will take this letter, and as he goes out into this war field, right, he's going to look back in that letter. He's going to read this letter on the nights that he's lonely, on the nights that he's discouraged, on the nights that he's scared. He's going to read these words, and he's going to find comfort. 
And these are the words that God is offering to his people because trouble is about to come. Things are about to get really messed up. And look down with me to verses 1 and 2. What does God say in his letter to his people? He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. God's heart is to comfort his people. Look at comfort here. It's used twice. And whenever a word is repeated in the Bible, it's for a strong emphasis. It's to stress the importance. For us right now, it would mean highlighting, bolding, all caps, right? He's saying, comfort my people. Comfort them. And then in verse 2, it says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. These are, this is words of, of loving care. Speak tenderly. And in other words, it's to say, speak to the heart of my people. Speak to the heart of my people, meaning speak to the deepest part of their being. God is not just robotically telling Isaiah, yeah, tell the people everything's, you know, everything's under control, I got it, everything's going to be cool. No, he's telling Isaiah, speak to their innermost being. Tell them, tell them that I will bring an end to this destruction. Tell them that their sins are forgiven. You know, when we feel discouraged, when we feel defeated, we can often forget that our God is a God of comfort, that his heart is to comfort us in our affliction, that his heart is to comfort us in our sin, that he desires to forgive us. You know, some of us in our, in our walk, we, we might be tempted to think sometimes that I have sinned way too much or I have sinned way too greatly that God cannot possibly desire to comfort me right now. He might make me pay uh, for my sins. I might have to, you know, deal with a couple things going wrong in my life. And then eventually when I feel sorry enough, I think God will then comfort me and bring me solace, right? Other of us have been thinking, you know, I've been away from God for so long now. You know, I've neglected to pursue him. I haven't done my quiet times this week. I don't think God really wants to comfort me. Let me, let me get myself uh, ready. Let me get myself dusted off. You know, I'll start to pray more. I'll start to read the scriptures more. And then I'll start serving in church and coming on Sundays. And then I think God will start to comfort me. How easy is it for us to forget God's gentleness in dealing with us? And how easy it is to forget that God desires to comfort us. We get paralyzed in our guilt sometimes. We get paralyzed in our unbelief. And a lot of the times, the situations that are in front of us, that seems to be bigger than our God. And we forget that his desire is to comfort us in our affliction and in our sin. Remember Israel, right? They had sinned for generations against God, and now they found themselves exiled in a foreign land. So imagine what's going on in their mind. They're thinking, oh, we screwed up big time. Our God has left us. All those great promises God gave to us through Abraham to make us a great nation, well, we failed to live up to it, so I think God's taking those promises back. They thought they were abandoned. They thought God was angry. They thought God would not receive them back. This was the, probably what was going on in their minds and hearts. But we see God's actual heart for his people, despite what Israel was thinking. And God's heart was comfort. Comfort my people. 
Dane Ortland has a quote that says, If we come to God as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will be his lamb-like tenderness to us. Yes, our sin, our rebellion against God, deserves a fierce lion-like judgment. God does not take sin lightly. But his heart for us, when we go to him in repentance, when we go and seek him, his heart is a heart of gentleness where he receives us with a lamb-like tenderness. And so my encouragement to you, church, today is to remember that why God comforts us is because his heart is to comfort us. Go to him. He deals with you gently. Next, we're going to see how does God comfort us? How does he comfort us? Now, what does comfort look like to you guys, right? When you think of uh, comfort, some of us might be thinking comfort is coming home after a long day's work, taking off the dress shoes and heels, turning on the World Cup and just relaxing. You find comfort there, right? Some of us, comfort is going home for the holidays, seeing your mom and dad, eating that nice home-cooked meal. You feel the comfort and the warmth of your home. Oftentimes, we think of comfort in these terms, that, that it's either some warm, fuzzy feeling or that we, it's a relief from some of the stresses in our life. But the comfort that is being spoken of here today in this passage is different. The comfort here can be understood and translated as strengthened and encouraged. God is saying to Isaiah, strengthen my people. Encourage them. Don't give them weak, fuzzy feelings that fade away, but to truly strengthen them and encourage them in their time of despair. And see, let's look down to verse 2 again and see how God plans to strengthen and encourage and comfort his people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So Judah is paying the price for their sin against God, right? God entrusted the Israelites with the promised land and with the temple. And with the temple, God has promised them his presence to be with them. But Israel failed to be trustworthy. They disobeyed, they worshiped idols, they were spiritual idolaters, and so they had broken their covenant with God, and they were receiving the penalty for their covenantal disobedience. And for 70 years, they would be in Babylon, and now God comes to them and says to them, it's over, it's done, the price is paid, you can go home now. The warfare, it's over. Your difficulty, your striving, it is finished. Your pardon, your dues are paid, and you can go home. That's great news for Israel at this point of their history. But remember, we're talking about the sins of a whole nation for generations and generations. Do we really think that 70 years of exile is the fair compensation for their uh, disobedience against God. Let's look at the end of verse 2 one more time, and we're going to look at this phrase. It's going to give us insight into what, what, what God is doing here. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
So it's saying, wait, hold on. Israel paid the price for their own sins. In fact, they paid double what they did against God. Is that what's really being said here? Because if we look at it, that doesn't sound like a God who is gentle, who is forgiving, and who is receiving. Scholars um, often kind of vary on their interpretation of this, right? Some people would say that in the Old Testament, you know, when you are sinned against, to, to be compensated for that sin, the person would have to pay double, right? And that, that this is what this uh, passage is talking about. But I, I, th- I don't think that's what's going on here. What, what I see when I look into this passage is um, this idea of this Eastern principle from that time. So when you incurred a debt to somebody and you were not able to pay it off, that person would write your debt and nail it to the doorpost so people could see that you have this debt against them. And what, you, what would happen was, if someone would come and pay your debt for you, they would double that paper, they would fold it over and nail it to show that that debt had been paid by someone else. That's what I think scripture is showing us here. It's not that Israel's sins were forgiven because they served their time in exile, it's but because they were looking forward to someone who would pay the ultimate price for their sin. What we have here in this prophecy in Isaiah is, yes, God prophesizing to Israel, I am going to free you from your exile, your physical exile in Babylon, but it's a greater prophecy to all of God's people saying, I am going to send someone who will deal with your problem, with your spiritual exile. I am going to send someone who is going to pay for all your sins and who will tell you that your hardship, your warfare is ended, your struggle is over, your debt is paid. It's the gospel. This message is talking about Christ. The Israel's lights were looking forward to what the Christ had done on the cross. And for us, we look back to what he has accomplished for us. And the gospel, the gospel is our true comfort. You know, we failed over and over again to live our lives by God's word. And our sins were so many that it wouldn't take twice our lifetime to pay them. It would have taken eternity to pay for our sins. But then Christ came out of God's love, his mercy, and his patience and kindness towards us. And Christ comes and he lives the perfect life of obedience He fulfills the covenants, the part of the covenants that we cannot fill. He fills it for us. And then he goes on to the cross, and he pays the full price of our sin for us. And he receives the penalty, the wrath of God that should have came to us. And then three days later, he resurrects, and he seals the victory over sin and death for us, giving us eternal life and new standing with God. This is the only comfort for us in life and in death. It is the gospel. And when you know in your mind and your heart that you're fully forgiven, that you're fully loved and accepted by God, it changes everything for you. It not only comforts you in your discouragement and your struggle with sin, it comforts you in all your trials and struggles in this life. Because what does the gospel tell you? The gospel tells you that Jesus came to save you. And now that you're saved, the gospel says that you are no longer your own, but you are God's. You are his. 
The gospel tells you that he will preserve you to the day you reach his throne, that nothing will happen to you outside of his will. And the gospel tells you that nothing could ever separate you from the love of the Father. Our greatest comfort is the gospel. And again, that means the greatest struggle, your sin, is dealt with, but also means that you're discouraging situations in life you have the comfort of God to help you get through them. In the beginning, I asked, um, you know, what are some of the things we're being discouraged by? What are some of the things that you're facing? What are the things that have got you, you down in your life? When you face these things, as a Christian, you're not supposed to approach it in a stoic-like manner. You're not supposed to just white-knuckle it and try to get through it. You're not supposed to live in denial and pretend that it's not happening. But what you do is you look to the gospel and remember those truths, that you are his. You belong to the one who is faithful and never changing. That he is sovereignly leading you in your life. And so that nothing that happens to you comes to him as a surprise. Nothing that happens to you is outside of his will for you. No matter how much you might not understand it, no matter how difficult and how painful it might be, God is using whatever that might be in your life that's causing you discouragement to do a good work in you. Nothing happens to you outside of his will. And that should give you great strength and courage for whatever discouragement you're facing today. It lives you to live radically and boldly and have hope in whatever circumstance you face. You know, I'm reminded of the story of Joseph, right? We all are kind of familiar with it. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers, sold into slavery, exiled into a foreign land. And he works his way up, and he has some semblance of a, a you know, respectable life. He gets, you know, um, honor, and he gets recognition from his owner. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you know if that would happen, you, you would have some will to keep going on. But then what happens, right? He's wrongfully accused of making sexual advances on his owner's wife, and then he's thrown into prison. Man, he's knocked down again. And if, if I'm honest, if that were me, I would throw in the towel. I'm done. You know, I worked hard to get to that point. If I got knocked down again, it would be really hard to come back from that. But what do we know with the rest of the story? God raises up, Joseph up again, right? In prison, he runs into um, Pharaoh's um, servants, and he, he interprets their dreams, and he's given the opportunity to interpret dreams of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh eventually puts him in second in command in all of Jesus, not in all of Egypt, <laughs> in all of Egypt. And I'm reminded, you know, when there's a famine in the land, and Joseph is reunited with his brothers, his brothers come to him asking forgiveness. And Joseph says this to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Church, whatever you're facing today is within the sovereign realm of God. He is watching over you, he preserves you, and nothing happens to you apart from his will. And he works everything that is going on in your life for your good. This should strengthen you, encourage you through whatever discouragement you might be going through. 
And finally, we're going to look at our response to God's comfort. Our response to God's comfort. So we see the gospel proclaimed to us through Isaiah, right? That Christ comes and he saves us and we are now eternally secure and forever his. It's Christ's work that gives us salvation and that assurance. It's pure grace. But now that we hear the gospel and the gospel is proclaimed to us, there is a summon to respond. And we're going to look at verses 3 to 5 to see that summons. Look down to the text with me. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, the World Cup is going on right now, and it's being held in Qatar, and they estimated about 300 billion U.S. dollars was spent into infrastructure. You know, expanding airports, building facilities, and a large chunk of that money is is spent into building roads. And why is that? If you've ever been to a lesser developed nation where the infrastructure is weak, it's difficult to travel. You know, a distance that would take perhaps maybe one hour in a smooth, flat surface would take four hours if you were on dirt, if there was winding, if there was animals in the way, whatever, you know, whatever would be the case. And so they put all this money into the infrastructure to make these super fast, super flat highways to prepare for all these people coming. And that's the image that is given to us in Isaiah today. Because Christ has come. Christ has come, and he displayed his glory on the cross to us. He displayed God's love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his gentleness to us. But there will come a day where Christ will come again. But on this day, he will bring judgment. And for those who have put their faith and trust in him, it will be a glorious day to celebrate. But for those who are not, it's a day that should be feared. And for us... We have a message of true hope, of true comfort for that day. And we, as Christians, have the call to share this message with others, to give people that comfort. As I was looking through a commentary, one of them um, said this, Isaiah's message is for people whose world has been shattered. And for people like that, cheap comfort is not only a waste of time, it is cruel. Comfort that is not grounded in reality is no comfort at all. As believers, we have a message of true comfort. While the world tries to seek comfort in finances, in alcohol, in relationships, in whatever it is they try to find comfort in, they are all cheap, and they will all fail them. But we have the message of true comfort, and it's our call to share that message, to make a way for Christ. My second encouragement to you is, if you have not been putting your faith and trust in Christ, or faith and trust in Christ, if the gospel message is new to you and you're curious, I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself. You know, you realize there is a brokenness inside of you. You realize there is a sin inside of you and that it eats away at you. 
and you realize all the things that you have been trying to find comfort in, they have left you empty. You know, I want to encourage you to seek Christ, to learn more about who he is and what he did for you in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. He deals with you kindly. He deals with you gently, those who come to him. And so, church, I want to end with this. We see a theme in today's um, passage in Isaiah, right? We see the Israelites exiled out of the promised land. It's very similar to the theme that we see in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, they disobey, they fail to live up to God's word, and so they are exiled out. God says, you can no longer be in my presence. And Israel, again, they're given the promised land. They're given promise of restoration. And they fail to live up to their end of the covenant. And so God, again, says, you are exiled from the promised land. The temple, my presence, will no longer be with you. And it's all to show us that God had a greater plan. He had a greater plan to send Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. And he has come to deliver us from our spiritual exile so that we are no longer lost and wandering, alienated from God, but that we are guaranteed and assured that we will be brought home to him. Not because we were able to do it on our own, not because we could follow God's law, but simply because Christ lived, died, and rose again from the dead for us. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.